Well, good morning, everyone. Am I on? Is, is that my fault? Oh, good. We're there. How many of you ate too much for Thanksgiving? How many of you aren't telling the truth? Okay. How many of you? It, it was just a great day. You had a great day. A couple of you. Okay. Well, good. All right. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about Thanksgiving and the fact that, you know, if we invite Christ into our life, we have the privilege of having Thanksgiving joy. And that's not a, a, a Thanksgiving joy that's just for one day out of the year. Uh, that's a Thanksgiving joy that is 24-7, 365. When we think about Jesus Christ and all he has done for us. Now, but, you know, the question that we ask, the reality of it is, is, you know, how can we have thanksgiving in the middle of our problems? Uh, our problems, our difficulties, our circumstances. How can we have joy when, when people are hurt us? You know, when they do wrong, okay? Because we all face those kinds of things all the time, all right? How can we really have thanksgiving joy, you know, 24-7, 365? I am so glad you asked that question because Paul answered it 2,000 years ago. He answered it in a, in a book we call Philippians. He wrote a letter to uh, a church, a church like ours, local church, uh, of believers who lived in the city of Philippi. We've been going through that book, and Paul addresses that very thing. How can you have thanksgiving joy in a sin-cursed world? How, how can you have a thanksgiving joy when you're surrounded by sinful people, all right? In Philippians 4, Paul says we can. In fact, the theme, the key verse, the theme of Philippians chapter 4, or Philippians 4, Philippians is uh, chapter 4, verse 4, where he says this. This is the theme. Rejoice in the Lord every once in a while, one day a year, fourth Thursday of November. Always. And I'm going to say it again, he says. Rejoice. It's a command that's given to us. Paul says we can rejoice when we're stuck in traffic. Yeah, he, really, he said that. Like, can you believe it? Paul says we can rejoice when we're sitting at a light that turned green 30 seconds ago, but the driver's texting, all right? We can, we can rejoice listening to politicians who are bashing each other instead of working with each other, right? Paul didn't give this command to rejoice while he was in some ivory tower. We know he was in a Roman prison. He was chained to a Roman guard. And just put yourself in his place. Just imagine that you're in prison and you hadn't committed any crimes. You were in prison because you were a Christian. Would you be giving thanks? I'm afraid I wouldn't but we can. Did Paul write this letter just, you know, high in the sky? No, it's a reality. Paul wrote this letter to people like you and me. They, they were people that he actually had won to Christ on his first missionary journey. And the key verse and theme of the book, 4-4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it. Re I say rejoice. And that's just unbelievable. We would, 
We would think that a man who'd committed no crimes but was chained to a Roman guard in prison would be writing a stinging complaint to the Attorney General of Rome, you know, threatening a lawsuit, not writing a letter about joy. Surely a man who'd been unjustly imprisoned and in danger of being executed. Surely, we would think, he gets to vent his emotions and tell his story of injustice, right? But that's not what he does. We wouldn't blame Paul one bit if he chose to be real and to share his anger and to share his disappointment with God for letting all this stuff happen to him when he was being so faithful to the Lord. Paul was suffering all the things that we think would keep us from having joy. He was suffering imprisonment, deprivation, jealousy, disease, danger, betrayal, and the threat of execution. But in his letter, he uses the word joy or rejoicing 14 times in four short chapters. You see, joy is not the feeling you get when everything's perfect. It's not the feeling you feel when everything's going your way. Joy is not smiling the whole world smiles at you. A few years ago, I was at Publix, and there was three or four of us waiting for Publix to open. And it was about five minutes before opening time. So we're just all standing there, but there's one guy, and he's standing at the door of Publix, and he's banging on the door. And finally, he took out his keys, and he started banging on the glass. And I'm just looking at him in amazement, and, and i sure I smiled. He turned around at me and said, you're the problem. I didn't know I was the problem. Donna's told me I am, but I didn't know that. <laughs> I was the problem with the whole world, all right? Smiling, the whole world smiles at you? Not really. There's a lot of people who are not going to smile back. Paul's problems were far worse than any problems I've ever had. Uh, I would venture to say they're worse than any problems you've ever had either. He was in prison. He was facing possible execution. And he tells us to rejoice like he had. So the question is, do you have joy? Yeah, you've got problems. You have difficult people in your life. Do you have joy? Do you have thanksgiving joy? Not, not just one day a year, but all the time because you have the Lord. Now, I want to make a, shape, a statement that's going to shock you, and there are many of you that won't agree with this statement, but I believe it with all my heart, and the statement is this. You can get joy from the very things that you think will take away your joy. You can get joy from the very things that you would think will take away your joy. We can actually get Thanksgiving joy from I'm going to talk about two things, and the first one is you can get thanksgiving joy from painful problems. Now, how is that possible? How can we get joy from painful problems? Because that's when we really learn to trust God. 
when things are going great, hey, I got this all under control. I'm a good person. I've made good decisions. Everything's good. But when everything's not good, that's the time that we're finally open to learning that we can trust God. You have problems. Those problems can help you learn to really trust God instead of just saying that you do. Your problems can help you to learn to really trust God's promise to work all things together for good to those who love God, to those who trust God, to those who obey God. That's when we learn trust. We can actually get thanksgiving joy from painful problems. It's very interesting uh, because it was Thanksgiving. Uh, I wanted to uh, research a little bit about the first Thanksgiving. And, of course, I mean, there are opinions all over the place, some from the very conservative that this was a wonderful celebration, you know, between pilgrims and Native Americans and others that say, no, no, it wasn't like that at all. In fact, there wasn't even one, and everything you've heard is a myth, and there's no truth to it at all. So I wanted to study it myself, and, and I do believe that these are the facts, the looking at both sides, uh, historian-wise. In the 1600s, English explorer George Weymouth landed, uh, landed in Massachusetts. He was searching for gold. Well, he didn't find any gold in Massachusetts, so... He decided instead to make this trip profitable that he could capture some local uh, Native Americans and take them back to England and sell them into slavery. Well, one of those that he captured was uh, one you've heard about. His name was Squanto. In, in England, Squanto, young man Squanto, uh, he learned English. He was a bright, ambitious uh, young man. And learning English, he actually got a job as an interpreter for John Smith, the great British explorer. John Smith was about ready to uh, start on a new expedition to the New World. So, Guanto was able to return to the colonies in 1614. Now, unfortunately, back in Massachusetts, there was another slave trader. His name was Thomas Hunt. He tricked a number of Native Americans, including Squanto, to come aboard his ship one day. Hunt took them to Spain and sold them into slavery. But even though that had happened to Squanto, God's hand was on him. In Spain, Squanto was actually rescued by some monks. And these monks taught him God's word. They taught him about the Lord. They taught Squanto that Jesus not only is willing to forgive our sins, but he gives us the grace to forgive the sins of those who hurt us. These monks helped Squanto get back to England. Well, back in England, once again, he was able to board a ship that was headed back to Massachusetts, and Squanto was finally home a second time. He decided to go visit his village. He was excited to get back to his tribe and his people. But when he got to his village, it was totally deserted. Most of his tribe had been wiped out by smallpox. Now, smallpox was not a disease that was in North America, but it was transmitted by the Europeans 
be flooded into the new world. Because all of his tribe was gone or dead, Guanto had to go live with another tribe. In 1620, the pilgrims landed at, Pilgrim Ro at Plymouth Rock, and uh, they wanted to establish a new a colony, of course. They wanted to stay as permanent residents in a land where they would have religious freedom. Guanto was able to communicate with them because he knew English. He knew they needed help to survive the winter. So he taught them how to plant corn and catch fish and eat wild plants and even bury dead fish in the soil as fertilizer. Without Guanto, the Plymouth colony may not have ever survived. Why was Guanto so kind to the British? Most of us would have been very bitter towards the people who had kidnapped us, taken us across an ocean and sold us into slavery. Here's why. In Spain, he had learned that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was betrayed, just like he had been. Guanto learned that Jesus died to forgive sins, the sins we've sinned against him, and he asked us to forgive those who sin against us. You see, friend, it was Squanto's painful problems that led him to know Jesus, that led him to know that Jesus is a forgiver who asked us to be forgivers also, even when they don't deserve it. Friend, we can actually get thanksgiving joy from painful problems. We can also actually get thanksgiving joy from people problems, too. You see, Paul had people problems. He not only had, you know, a, a, a prison problem. He had people problems. And so we go now to chapter 4, and we pick up in verse 2, and this is what he says. This is what he writes. I plead with Uodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. We know very little about these two women, except, uh, well, except the fact that they were women. Uh, those were female names. But we do know from Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 16, that the church in Philippi that Paul planted, it actually started first with a women's prayer group. Euodia and Syntyche were part of that prayer group. That prayer group played a huge part in the establishing of the church and many coming to know Jesus Christ in Philippi. We know that from verse 3 where he continues. He says, yes, I, I ask you, dear church, my true companions, help these women since they had contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers, my co-workers there whose names are in the book of life. Paul calls Euodia and Syntyche co-workers, co-workers in the cause of Christ. Now, most of you who work, okay, most, some of you are self-employed or some of, some of you work alone, all right? But most of us have co-workers, don't we? Is there anyone here who ever had a problem with co-workers? 
Yes. All right. See, when you work with others, there's going to be a difference of opinion. God didn't make us to see things exactly the same. God made us with different kinds of opinions. So when you work with others, there's huge potential for disagreement. Those who work alone don't usually disagree with themselves, although I know some people who do, all right? But when you work with others, there's differences of opinion. There's disagreements. That happens on the job all the time. That happens in families. Donna and I are very good coworkers, except when we're cleaning together. Donna thinks that you should, like, clean behind the doors, you know, where nobody can see. She thinks you should clean in a closet, you know, and I don't think our guests are going to come and open the closet door, although have any of you ever done that? Okay. Donna thinks that the garage floor should be clean, you know, clean enough to eat off of. I hate eating off of the garage floor. <laughs> We're great coworkers. We have different definitions of cleaning. We have different ways to clean, all right? But we're great co-workers. These two dear Christian ladies were co-workers. And at one time, they were so close with each other, loving each other, working with each other. But then things happened. They had differences of opinion. And now they're in conflict. And that conflict was not only robbing their joy, it was affecting the church. You see, we Christians don't always act like Christians, do we? Can I get an amen on that? Because uh, it's true. We Christians, self-included especially, we don't always act like Christians. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're acting like Christ. And Jesus tells us to forgive. We're commanded to keep the unity of the Spirit, letting, rather than letting our opinions and our personal preferences divide us. And so that's why in verse 2, Paul pleads with them. Paul pleads with Euodia and Syntyche to do what? To be of the same mind in the Lord. What does that mean? To be of the same mind in the Lord. It means to have the same mind as Christ, same attitude that Christ had. It, it means to do the same things that Christ did, which is to forgive, which is to reconcile, which is to honor one another, which is to love one another. Say, it was our sins that sent Jesus Christ to the cross, but he forgives us. Most of us have people in our life we haven't forgiven. Many years ago, in fact, when I first moved to Sarasota, there was a lady in the church, and she was just maybe the most faithful lady in the church. She was always there at every activity. She was always serving in so many ways. Well, maybe the most faithful woman in the church. She was faithful, but she was not joyful. She came to see me one day. I said, what's on your mind? She said, oh, I just want to tell you that I just have this, I am hurting so bad because 
my brother-in-law divorced my sister. And she went on and gave me a litany of the, all the things that he had done wrong, and they surely were wrong. And then she said this, I can't forgive him. Which being interpreted is, I won't forgive him. Friend, we're called to forgive. Jesus told to forgive no matter what others do to us. And we do that. We say, yeah, but they don't deserve forgiveness. Okay? Uh, probably not. But forgiving is not about condoning. It's not about giving what others deserve. Grace is giving what's undeserved. And that's the forgiveness that Jesus Christ gives to us. And friend, I just want to say, most of us have someone in our life and we, we haven't forgiven them. Or we've forgiven them, but we take it back. And we forgive and we take it back. And Jesus says, I'll give you the strength to forgive. He forgives us. And if we're a Christian, we must desire and do what we can to forgive others. It's so important in a family. It's so important in a church. It's so, so important in your life and so important in, our, in my life. Forgiving is not condoning what they did. It is choosing not to let unforgiveness poison us and our families and our church. Christians will have differences of opinion. God made us that way. Difference of opinion are not a sin. That's God's design. Judging others is a sin. Talking about them is a sin. Not forgiving them. Jesus had 12 disciples. Jesus had 12 co-workers, didn't he? One of them sold him for 30 pieces of silver. The other 11 ran away when a mob came to arrest him. The leader of the disciples, Peter, at Jesus' trial, denied knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, three times. And then he cursed to show how strong he was. What did Jesus do with these co-workers? Did he reject them? Did he condemn them? Did he refuse to forgive them? No, he forgave. And he commands you and me to do the same. In the book of Revelation, there are seven letters to seven churches. And in the last one, it's about a church in the, the city of Laodicea. And then in, in that letter, Jesus says to the church there, he says to the Christians there, if you don't forgive each other, then your lampstand will be removed. You won't be able to be the light that Jesus calls us to be. Do you want joy? You and I will never have it if we won't forgive. It'll kill your joy. It'll kill your ability to work with your co-workers in Christ. We won't always agree but we're commanded to live in 
harmony with one another. It tells us in Romans chapter 12. Now, what is harmony? This is very interesting. To have harmony, you have to have different notes. If they're all playing the same note, there's no harmony. And you see, God made us to live in harmony to, with our different opinions, with our different perspectives on life, with our different gifts, to bring those together with each other, to play different notes. So the key to living in harmony with people who are different in, with you is not playing the same note. It's following the same conductor, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're a Christian, our conductor is the Lord Jesus Christ. Your fellow musicians or your fellow Christians who are your co-workers in the greatest mission you have in this life and the life to come, spreading the good news, not spreading conflict, spreading the good news, to have joy, thanksgiving joy. We need to have the same mind as Christ. When our two sons, Seth and Josh, were young, we, had, we played games. Our favorite family game was wrestling. Well, actually, it was the favorite game of three members of the family. One, one of them thought it was juvenile, okay? But we love to wrestle, Seth and Josh. Do you know what? They always won. They always won. They always pinned me. Why? My legs. Wouldn't be the case anymore, but it was then. But see, here's the point. The stronger one should let the weaker one win. You want to be a strong Christian? Do you want the joy of the Lord in your life because you're, you're obedient to him? then stop trying to win the argument. Start helping the weaker Christian grow. See those who aren't Christians. See how much Christians love each other and forgive each other so they'll want to become Christians too. Don't let our world see our conflict. Let them see that we have the mind of Christ. Want joy? Thanksgiving joy is the joy of being like Jesus and bringing others to Jesus. You see, we can get thanksgiving joy in painful problems and problem people. And you might still be saying, uh-uh, that person in my life, uh-uh, I'm not going to get any joy from them. They're going to take away my joy. No, joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. As we've talked about here a few weeks ago, God deliberately put into your life some sandpaper people. Some people that he has put into your life to rub off the rough edges so that you will become like Jesus Christ. God uses them to refine us and make us like Jesus. Difficult people will steal your joy, but only if you let them. Difficult people will steal your joy, but only if you don't forgive them. 
only if you don't try to live in harmony with it. But when we do, we give thanksgiving to the Lord. A joy the world can't give, a joy the world can't take away. And verse 5 tells us one more thing that brings joy. In verse 5, we read, the Lord is near. We get thanksgiving joy when we remember daily that the Lord is near. When we remember that the Lord is near, we lose our frustrations with our problems and our anger toward people because we know the Lord is near. In fact, the Lord lives in us. One of the great verses of the Bible is Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. And this is Jesus talking. What does he say? He says, here I am, or behold, the King James, all right, here I am. I stand at the door of your heart, and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will come in. That's a great verse to share with someone who doesn't know uh, Jesus as their personal Savior. To let them know that Jesus is there. He's inviting, he's, he's, he's outside their life, but he wants to come in and be a part of their life. But I need to tell you, dear friends, that this verse was not written to those who weren't Christians. It was written to those who were. This was written to the church in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. But unfortunately, those Christians had become what the Bible says is lukewarm. They'd lost their first love for Christ. Their first love now was different. Their first love now was their possessions or their first love was their pleasures or whatever it was. But it wasn't Jesus anymore. They were lukewarm. And so Jesus said, remember me. Remember your first love. Remember the Lord is near and he's knocking at your heart door. Friend, he's knocking at your heart's door right now. He's knocking at my door. He wants to come in, and he wants to stay in, and he wants to be there, and he wants to be uh, in our life, giving us the strength that we don't think we have to do what we need to do. Open the door. Open the door. Let him in. He'll give you the strength to, to forgive. He'll give you the joy, the thanksgiving joy that we can have every day, no matter what our problems are the problem people around us. So, ask yourself this, please. What next step do I need to take to get Thanksgiving joy? What step does the Lord want me to take that I have that kind of joy and that I have that kind of fulfillment in the life I'm walking in? Whatever he's talking to you about, do it. Do it so that you might have his joy, that his joy might be in you and that your joy might be full, Jesus said. And that brings that thanksgiving joy. Shall we pray? Father, thank you that we live in a country that at least sets aside one day to try to be thankful. But dear Lord, being thankful is a fruit of the Spirit. Being thankful is 
the proof that Jesus lives in us. Being, being thankful is the evidence that Jesus Christ lives in us and is enabling us and giving us joy the world can't give and can't possess. Oh, God, we just thank you so much that you, this is your gift to us. This is how you want us to live, to live with joy because you are on the throne and you're on the throne of our hearts and our lives. So, Father, may we display that to our world. May others see in us that we are grateful and then they will be drawn to you and want to know you also. Father, thank you. Thank you for Thanksgiving joy. It's real. It's eternal. And thank you that it's your gift to us. And friend, while your head is bowed and eyes closed, have you let Jesus in? He wants to come in. He wants to be your Savior. He wants to forgive you of all your sin. You can't work your way to heaven by being good enough. You couldn't be good enough to earn a way into a perfect place. We're all sinners. We've all disobeyed God. That's why Jesus died on the cross, so he could forgive us of all of our sin. So if you've never let Jesus in to be your Savior, that's why he brought you here today. He wants you in his heaven, inviting you. For those of us who have invited Christ in, if we let him remain there, if we've given him the throne of our life, then we have thanksgiving joy today and every day. Let's do that. Let's do that so that the world sees that you're real, dear Father. Oh, Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is a, a spirit of joy and thanksgiving. And we thank you, dear Father, for your love, your amazing love, your amazing grace, dear Father, that you would choose us to be your children, that one day you're going to send your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, back again for his followers. You're going to take us to heaven to live with you forever. Dear Father, what greater joy could anyone ever have than the reality that the Son of God is coming back for us? And we thank you. As we come, dear Father, to the celebration of your birth 2,000 years ago, fill us with such joy that we cannot keep silent, that we must tell others, that we desire, we long, we love telling others that we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, I pray. Oh, this is a great season. We commit the tea to you and the children's musical and Christmas Eve service. Dear Father, we're going to have the opportunity to tell so many people the good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth to be our Savior and Lord. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we cannot be silent. And we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to dismiss you in one minute.